0: Hello mainstreamers and cinephiles and everybody in between, I'm Bryant. And I'm Caitlin. And Operation Silver Screen is a go!
1: Welcome everyone to another Weekly Debrief. Each week, Brian and I take on a case from our backlog of must-see films that either one of us or both of us have yet to see. And our debrief will provide not only our opinion of the film, but we'll also discuss its significance and influence in both the film industry and society as a whole. Along the way, we'll also provide other fun trivia and insights on the film. So, Brian, what was our mission this week?
0: Our mission this week had us watching a movie full of heroin addicts and not that many trains as you would expect in this movie. There's like two trains for a movie called Train Spotting. Yes, today we're going to be talking about Train Spotting from Danny Boyle, starring Ewan McGregor. And this is a film, not doing it for any special reason. We were going to do this uh, a while ago, but we had moved it aside for something else. Uh, and this is a film that I have seen before. Also, we're going to be talking about Train Spotting, too, just a little bit. We're just going to give our opinions on it, whether it's worth watching or not, uh, as far as a Legacy sequel goes. Because we do have a lot of bad ones, so we might as well just bring in more candidates so we can have some good ones out there, if this is it. We'll see. But, Caitlin, this is a movie you have not seen, correct?
1: Correct. It's been on my list to watch for a while. I just put it off. Uh, the subject matter is a little bit more of a heavier one, I would say. Uh, so I've just been putting it off until it was, you know, the right time to watch it. And, you know, this is a perfect excuse for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. As as... As far as like all our episodes are, it's kind of the perfect excuse to watch this movie, even though we're
1: yeah, <laughs> somewhat
0: mandi- mandated. And Caitlin, it's just not you today and I. Uh, we also have here Chris. Uh, Chris, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself?
2: hey what's going on uh thanks for having me you guys my name is chris anderson uh i host a podcast about monsters called uncle monsters spooky time fright hour uh but i also uh am a video store clerk of 10 years experience in my backstory not not currently but i've got that so i'm excited to to always talk about movies uh real passion of mine so i'm really excited to get into train spotting now, now, can I ask, how old were you guys when this one came out? This was, what, 96?
0: 96. So I... Uh,
1: four? I think I was four years old?
0: Yeah, I saw this in the theaters. I was three years old at the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I was uh, 15 when this came out. So this is much more speaking to, like, my generation. So I'm interested to hear what you guys think about it.
0: Okay. So w- when did you actually see it? Did you see it at 15?
2: Uh, I would have rented the VHS tape probably somewhere in my senior year in high school. That's when I started watching movies just a lot my senior year. Yeah, same and, here. And uh so this would have been like right in that like nineties post Tarantino groove. Like this is like if you were a cool kid, this is what you were gonna check out.
1: Gotcha, okay.
0: Yeah, I can I can definitely see that in the nineties.
2: And and so much of this movie just Really reminded me of the 90s. That's what I found so interesting about watching it now, because I don't think I've seen it in like 15 years. If I had to guess, and just like how 90s it was, really fascinated.
0: Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, I wasn't really old enough. Like I grew up in the 90s, but I mean, my point of view wasn't like I don't know. Really, wasn't taking it all in. I don't yeah, know about you, yeah. Caitlin, being a year older. I don't know if you got the full <laughs> 90s vibe.
1: No, yeah, definitely not.
2: Well, you missed out on some highs and lows.
0: (laughs) And also just know that the first portion of our podcast is going to be spoiler free. When we do get into that classified portion with the spoilers, we are going to go ahead and give you a warning. So if you have not seen either of these films, don't worry. Continue on ahead with us. Now, this film does have some acclaim with it. It has a 8.1 on IMDb. It is the 170th movie out of the top 250 lists on IMDb. It has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes for critics and 93% for audience, so they pretty much agree. Uh, This was also Oscar-nominated for uh, Best Adapted Screenplay. This is in the 1001 movies to watch before you die, and it has a Criterion collection, which just released. Caitlin, what were you able to find?
1: So this film opened in the UK originally as a limited release before expanding its screenings in its third week, and it became the number one film in the UK box office. It was the highest-grossing British film of 1996 and the fourth-highest-grossing British film overall at the time. It also did well internationally. It grossed... In U.S. dollars, it was 72 million under a budget or against a budget of 1.5 million pounds, which I think equals like a little bit less than 2 million. So it it definitely more than earned backed its budget. Uh, as you said, it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay at the U.S. Academy Film Awards, and it was also nominated for Best Foreign Film at the Film Independent Spirit Awards. At the BAFTAs, it won Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. And Ian McGregor also got some acclaim for his performance named Best Actor at the London Film Critics Circle and the BAFTA Scotland Awards. It also won Best Feature Film at the BAFTA Scotland Awards as well. The British Film Institute also ranked it number 10 in the top 100 British films of all time in 1999.
0: So it's got a couple there.
2: Yeah, it seems like it's earned its fair share of recognition critically and financially. Okay.
0: Let's get into it. First, for those who don't know what train spotting is about.
1: Oh. Actually, Brian, before we get into our opinion, we did forget to update our guest case file.
0: Ah, that's right. Yeah, usually you do the guests. You usually bring on the guests. I haven't <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't bring on new guests. It's my first time.
2: Oh, oh well, I'm uh we'll be doing it the first time together. Yes, yes. So look my
0: apologies. Thank you, Caitlin. She is correct. Anytime that we have a guest on here, anytime we we have a new investigator or honorary investigator we do have to update their case file so we have two mm. questions for you uh the first Shoot. one what is your favorite movie that is considered mainstream it's like the popular pick bandwagon what is your number one in that in that
2: area it, in that area my, I'm gonna say predator okay solid. You can always throw on Predator, and you're always going to have a blast. It's a great mo- And I love that it's so many different movies in one. You know, it's a slasher. It's a war movie. It's sci-fi. You know, it's it's fantastic stuff.
1: Don't listen to our Predator episode. Please
2: listen oh, to our Predator episode.
0: Okay. I'm, I'm so glad you're here now.
1: Uh, or, you know, oh. I've been
0: glad, but yeah, uh, I may have to switch you out for Caitlyn for a regular. Uh, yeah, that one's been a controversial one between... Caitlyn and and pretty much my family. Everyone in my family mm. has said, "What's Caitlyn's problem with Predator?" So yeah, so Caitlyn <laughs> did not enjoy the movie. I I I love the movie. Movie's great.
2: Well, I'm fascinated. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of things about it that might not age well, uh, but beyond that, I can't think of too many complaints. I'd be interested in, in hearing that.
1: Yeah, uh, I have a love hate relationship with a lot of '80s films.
2: That's fair. I mean, once again, there's there's a lot to love and there's a lot to hate about the '80s and the '90s.
0: Yeah, that's another thing that's been uh kind of a uh, reoccurring is just like, huh? I'm wondering how Caitlin's gonna feel about this '80s movie.
1: Yeah. It, yeah, it's hit or miss. It's always such hit or miss.
2: And yeah, it's a controversial decade. I think it's a definitely a vulgar decade. Uh, it, it, it's it's very what you imagine it to be. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's very yeah, obvious. Yeah, and I
1: think for me, a lot of it has to do with, like, how the action was portrayed in the 80s because how we we choreograph and go about action scenes is so different nowadays than what it was in the 80s.
2: Yeah, I mean, once the Matrix hit, you can no longer make a mo- an action movie like you made in the mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I will agree with that, uh, Caitlin. The action is not... I mean, it just doesn't compare to today's action, but I excuse it. No, I don't have... I don't have too much of an issue of somebody being thrown around by a rubber suit.
2: And I think it's a different style is what it is. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like you, you no longer have like giant hulking dudes that just stand there and shoot a gun, which is just such a solid image. Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Uh, the Rock still does it from time to time.
2: <laughs> it's true. It's, he doesn't do nearly as much Kung Fu as he ought to. That should be his next phase.
0: See how that goes. Put him in another building. <laughs> Kung Fu way up there you go now the second question what is your favorite movie on the opposite side that not many people have heard of
2: okay so i told you guys i worked in a video store for about a decade and this video store was called kim's video it was the premier video store in new york city at the time and so our collection was considered to be like the best you can find on the east and i made it my job to find the worst movie i could find that i would like that i would enjoy because it was bad And that was Lethal Ninja, a.k.a. For Hire, directed by Stefan Rudnicki, starring a B-movie actor uh, called uh, David Hevner. The only actor that you might possibly recognize is Chance Michael Corbett, who plays the mayor's son, who also played the little boy vampire in The Lost Boys. It also stars Patrick Swayze's adopted sister Bambi Swayze. And it was a film that sort of unlocked how i understood how people enjoy bad movies like it it redefined that to me i've probably seen it like 30 times okay what year was it uh yeah because there are two lethal ninjas and
1: okay so which one are you talking about is your preferred lethal ninja
2: you want to see the stefan rudnicki david hevner ninja? i forget the year it was originally released
1: is it like a sequel
2: no, they just—they were just... the thing. Is, it was originally filmed under the title For Hire, okay? okay? I own two different cuts of this movie. The DVD and the VHS <laughs> tapes are two different cuts. One of them is ten minutes longer, uh, and the longer one was the original cut. It was called For Hire. When it was bought by the VHS distributor, they re-released it under the title Lethal Ninja, not knowing that there was already another movie with that title.
0: Yeah, okay, so 1991 is the one he's talking about, guys.
2: Yeah, check it <laughs> Make out. Make a note of it it's incredible
0: yeah i'm definitely gonna make a note of this one this is this already has my attention
2: beautiful that's what i like to hear all
0: right well that's that's quite the case file i don't think we have anybody that's given a a bad movie like that especially obscure one that neither of us have heard of
2: no it's it's not on a lot of people's radars and it really holds up one of the things okay one more fact and then i'm gonna not keep talking about it uh the writer-director, Stefan Rudnicki, I believe he was Polish from my research, and he uh, had his actors read his uh, script verbatim, and it's very clear that English is not his first language. Yeah, so why would you... I I don't get it that. It lends the film a very surreal air. Like, no one is talking at all in a naturalistic fashion at all. It's very stilted. Uh, anyway... Anyway, we're not talking about Lethal Ninja. We're talking about Train Spotting.
1: I like doing this segment because it gives me film recommendations. <laughs> yeah, that's well, the real reason for this.
2: <laughs> fair enough. I'm sorry I recommended a movie you already saw and didn't like.
0: I mean, you know, th- there is a similarity to this movie. Uh, some people are going to have a hard time understanding Train Spotting as well. It's challenging. Yeah. Definitely needs subtitles. Which is interesting. The subtitles that mm. I got for Train Spotting Two would actually translate. It wasn't just. Uh subbing it it was translating what they were saying, so they used British or Scottish slang, but the subtitles mm-hmm. would actually like say what it is in English like what what are they actually saying right now?
1: I think we had the same subtitles mm-hmm. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, they would say and instead it, of we Fergus, it was little Fergus, yes, exactly, but yeah let's uh let's talk about this movie, like uh, train spotting. train spotting if you don't know is about a group of heroin addicts well most of them are heroin addicts the other ones they're just they're just chilling you know they may later on dab in some some heroin but is their time in i don't know how to pronounce the city that they're in but it's a skyscraper. city right edinburgh
2: yeah edinburgh or edinburgh and uh, they're specifically in uh a Neighborhood or area of Edinburgh called Leith.
0: Yes, and this is a spot that's. I mean, it's not really a small town, but it's kind of been forgotten by the world. So these these young adults have pretty much nothing to do. As well as you would expect from heroin addicts. I mean, I don't think people do heroin and have things to do at the same time. Uh,
2: there's a couple. Not a lot of high functioning heroin. Addicts. No, certainly not in the world of train spotting. Not for very long.
0: Yeah, you have functioning alcoholics. You never hear a functioning heroin addicts
2: no no not very many they're not the ones that make the headlines i just
0: microdose a little bit you know (laughs) through a day but this goes through this period in time showing off their their friendship in quotations uh their time as junkies and trying to break the habit trying to make something of their life uh even from the position that they're in chris you being the guest here uh what did you think of train spotting the first one
2: Uh, I thought it was, you know, I think it's a classic. I think it really uh, shows what just... Okay, to get into this, are we in the spoilers section? No, no,
0: not yet, not yet.
2: Okay, okay, okay. Then I won't get into too many specifics. But uh, I think the, the characters in it are all very memorable. Our five guys, you know, Renton, Spud, Bigby, Sick Boy, and Tommy. You know, they're all like feel so lived in and, but they're also clear as well. Do you know what I mean? Like they're all very distinguishable and, you know, you can identify them very clear and it's almost becomes like a hangout movie, you know, like, like a uh, dazed and confused, you yeah. know, where you're just spending time with these characters and that's half the fun of the movie.
0: No, I, I agree. Yeah. The characters are definitely distinguishable that make it. And like you said, it's a hangout film and these are, you know, they're fun to hang out with by like, by spectating, you probably don't want to be like hanging out, hanging yeah. out with them physically. Uh, Caitlin, what did you think?
1: Overall, I enjoyed this film. I will say I had to warm up to it. Uh, as you said, it's a bit hard to understand. I did need subtitles, and it took me a little bit to to fully grasp what was happening, what was being said. And it's also partly just because Danny Boyle's style is is so fast paced. His pacing in films is. It, it's iconic on its own, but it is very fast moving. And it took me a little bit to really get grounded into this film. And once it did, it felt like a really engaging film. I agree that I really liked the characters some more than others. There were some characters that I didn't like um, or that didn't interests me as much as other character stories Mm. but overall i thought this was an engaging film and there's also some seriousness in it that kind of creates a turning point in this film that really really hooked me um i'll I'll definitely talk about more in spoilers what that turning point was uh but overall i think it was a really good mix of tones in this film and i liked what you said that it was a hangout film uh it was a, a film that kind of meandered in places in a way that I really liked. Mm.
0: This is my third time watching it, or no, actually I think this is my fourth time watching it. Uh, This was a movie that was recommended to me by my mother, so another point for her on the big board. Mm. Uh, Exposed me to classic films and kind of some odd films too. Uh, I was was at an appropriate age this time. I was was making a joke about the three years old. Don't think she exposed me that early. Okay.
2: Uh, She (laughs) didn't hide you in her trench coat.
0: Yeah, no. But I agree with Caitlin. I think, for one, I did enjoy this movie uh, on repeated viewings. The first time, it is a little hard to to get into, and I think I watched this film like early on when I really started watching film. So this is definitely something mm-hmm. that's made unconventionally, and it is kind of hard to stick with and and keep up with everything going. Though when I watched it on repeated viewings, I'm like, I don't know why I had trouble understanding this. Uh, could be because I also watched a lot of Danny Boyle since then. Uh, I watched. I think all of his, like, yeah, I've watched all of his worthwhile films. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is definitely fast, uh, but it works so well for this movie. Uh, and, which now I find it kind of ironic that Danny Boyle has such fast editing, and then he made a movie where somebody got stuck between a rock for 127 hours.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> like, if I knew Do- yeah. Danny Boyle back then when I watched that movie, i have been like, how is he going to sit down for this long? <laughs>
2: Yeah, he worked it
0: out.
1: Now, as far as Danny Boyle's style, I do, I could tell that this was one of his earlier films. Like, I feel like his mm. style wasn't as fully developed as it was in the second one. Not to get into the second one too much right now, but you could tell he was still developing that. And a lot of uh, the things that he's really, really known for, I didn't see in this film.
2: See, what's funny is I think after this, I didn't follow him too much. Like I was like, oh, okay, yeah, he did train spotting. The other ones uh, probably not as good. I'm not gonna not gonna sweat it, you know. Um, but I feel like this style is also like such a uh, part of that '90s aesthetic, especially like it, that fast cutting reminds me of like Run Lola Run, or like later on what you'd see with like Paul Greengrass bringing into uh, the like the Born films that has really got into this like. People can keep up with it. We're a faster country. Everybody's watching music videos now. You know, it's, we can cut faster. The audience is used to it. And they really were trying to push that back then and see how far they could go. And it's had its negative effects on film in the long run, unfortunately. But I, it, you can see how exciting it was in this film to be moving that fast. And to not just be doing quick cuts, but having like a really liberated camera in those mm-hmm. shots that you're using. That, so you just never were at rest. You were always sort of like almost seasick with it until eventually you got your sea legs with the movie and you could move with it, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And uh, you br- I never thought of it, but yeah, it definitely reminds me of Run, Lola, Run. which is a very fast-paced movie as well. And I do think that this is some early editing with them. It feels like, it feels like, because uh, I know they made this quickly. So I don't think he had a lot of time, like, uh, you know, on the on the mix board or whatever to, to really edit and put all these clips together. So a lot of like, he makes a lot of the, the quickness of the movie, just using the camera and what he can right there while filming. It feels like though. Sometimes. Yeah. I think he is, he is experimenting a little bit. Sometimes the camera just started mm-hmm. floating off somewhere. I'm like, well, somebody get that camera down. Like we, it doesn't need to be up there in the corner of the room all the way, but, but I'll say it hits like 90% of the time. There's only sometimes where I'm like, okay, he's just playing around at this point. But it still, it still does work for the film. Uh, and yeah, I think also with this being low budget, he does have to get creative with some of the editing. So I think that's why it's also a little bit different than when he he does get some some money and some backing. How did you guys feel about the performances?
2: First, oh, I thought just a lot of classic performances in this one. I think it's easy to sleep on uh, Ewan Bremer as Spud because he's like sort of the least charismatic one of them, but it's I think he's such an amazing actor, and I think he really crushes it uh, i think I think if I had to choose a weak link in the crew, I'd have to choose Tommy. but also his story was kind of the weakest. So it's easy to you know sleep on Tommy, I guess,
0: yeah, Tommy he has his role and he feels it, but other than that, I don't know, he does feel like the outsider, which I mean, he's pretty much introduced as the outsider. It doesn't make sense why he yeah. hangs out with these guys.
2: Yeah, just one of those guys that knew you from back in the day. And like, if he had gone to college, he wouldn't have talked to you anymore, but he didn't. So now you're all still hanging out.
0: And this could be because they live in a, a small town where nobody like nobody escapes and you don't have many options for friends.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: What about you, Caitlin?
1: I agree. I think that they were pretty much good performances overall. One thing for me that I was really looking forward to this film though was kelly mcdonald kelly mcdonald was on boardwalk empire which is my favorite show of all time and Mm. i just love following the actors who were in that show and so i knew that she was in this and i got really excited but i don't think that her character had much to work with but i i just enjoyed when she was on screen and i think there's a the shift uh, you learn more about her character, and there's like a shift of how you view her. She did that so well. Uh, so for me, I, I really liked her. That uh, Ian McGregor, of course, did amazing. Uh, I like that you mentioned uh, Ian Brummer, because I, I loved his character, uh, and I liked his performance with that character. It's it's very subtle, and I think it is easy to miss. For me, uh, yeah. Johnny Lee Miller, who plays Sick Boy, I don't know that it's his acting, but for me, he was the character that... I just could not really get into. I don't think that there was too much there of his character, other from what Ian uh, e. McGregor's character was telling us about him, but we didn't really get to see a lot. So I think that he wasn't given as much to work with.
2: One thing that struck me when I was watching with uh, Sick Boy, you know how he's always talking about Sean Connery? It reminded me a lot of that scene in American Psycho, where he's talking about Huey Lewis in the news before he kills Jared Leto. And, like, these are both guys that are, like, using pop culture as a way to, like, interact with people because, on some level, they're sociopaths. They don't know how to actually interact with people. And once I started, like, getting into the idea, like, oh, no, Sick Boy is just genuinely a, a piece of shit. Crazy lunatic. His character became more interesting to me, but I might have been overthinking it.
0: No, I could definitely see that with Sick Boy, and I don't think he had too Sick much. Sick Boy do, or but...
2: Begbie? No, Begbie's just a straight-up normal <laughs> psycho. Yeah, I was just by <laughs> the side. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that one hands down is is a lunatic. He
2: yeah, he cracks me up, but yeah, there's, oh man, I've but his his performance in Robert Carlyle is just electric. You know, anytime he's on screen, you're like, it's like, uh, you know, a bombs could go off any second. Yeah,
1: I think Robert Carlyle is a, a wonderful actor. I think he did amazing in the performance. I did get tired of Bigby. Uh, this is something where <laughs> I was wondering how you were going to take things, Bryant, because Brian has expressed before. He really doesn't like unlikable characters. And these characters mm. certainly are not likable.
0: Yeah, they aren't likable, but they are they are grounded. They are realistic in what they're doing. I mean, it's, it, it does fit with them. It's not like the movie's trying to get you to hate them. They're like, these, these people are not good. And I don't know. They just, it, it doesn't bother me because again, they are grounded and the movie is portraying them that way. And it's not, they're not putting it on too thick. Uh, I know I mentioned with like John Goodman and the big Lebowski, like there was a point I was like, why do they hang out with this guy? Mm. Uh, and with, with uh, Francis with Begbie here. I mean, I kind of see it because they're not always hanging out with him. They're just, it looks like they go to the same local bar and then he hangs out with them. But other than yeah, that... Yeah, he's
2: the kind of, he initiates the plans. Yeah. They're never calling Begbie. Begbie's calling them and be like, yeah. I'll see you at the pub. Yeah. I
1: think for me, it's just at some point I just got weary of Begbie and his whole shtick. Uh, I wanted something else. I wanted something a little bit less loud. And it just it just continued. And for me, I think some of the things that you talked about with John Goodman that annoyed you, I think that's what annoyed me with B.
0: Yeah, and I, I can enough. see that. I'm not, I for some reason, though, it just works better for me here that I don't have too much of an issue with them. Especially because also, again, it feels like he just kind of shows up. Like it doesn't, because they actually call John Goodman. And they're also like at a life and death. Here they're just hanging out at a bar and they're like, yeah, something may happen it may not happen and also they don't get involved either they just look at it and they're like god dang it
2: well and also john goodman in big lebowski he's he's like a cartoon character yeah. you know what i mean like he doesn't really have an internal life whereas these guys they're they're much more three-dimensional even if they are in some ways larger than life they are at least multifaceted i don't
1: know but i saw it with begbie though i think i could see that with the other characters but that was a character think, but i didn't see it as much
2: I think when they flushed him out a little bit more in two, that became more apparent. Yeah, uh, Begbie was definitely the the thinnest of the, the three in terms of dimensionality. I'll grant you that.
0: And I'm I'm definitely with you, Kate on Kelly McDonald. Actually, this was the first film that I saw her in, and I love her in this film. I wish she was in it more. Mm-hmm. And she's also somebody that is a, is another actress or actor that I wish was in more movies. That's why I wanted to really yeah. get into Boardwalk Empire too, is because I was like, man, I want to see more of her. Uh, but just kind of like Matthew Lillard, like they got these kind of good performances, but it just seems like I don't know. They they didn't get that many, they didn't get to make that many movies, or they took a break or something. But I just wish that she was in more. She wasn't No Country for Old Men for very little again. Mm. But I agree for what she who uh for what she's playing in here and the scenes that she has, she she really steals the show. Uh, I do wonder, like, if there's deleted scenes, because I noticed this time watching, I'm like, it somehow she gets involved with the whole thing, friend group, and they never explain how. Like, she all of a sudden just knows everybody.
2: Yeah, there might have been some things that wound up on the cutting room floor. Yeah,
1: probably. Did you see her Black Mirror episode?
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. That, too. Uh, yeah, I actually really like that episode.
1: Yeah, I think she's given... The, as an actress, I think she's had more material to shine in television than mm. uh, film.
0: Could be. Would she be considered a character actress? Well, no, she's in Boardwalk Empire for a while, isn't she?
1: Yeah, she's one of uh, the main characters.
0: Okay. And then, of course, Hugh McGregor, he's one of my favorite actors. He's great in this as well. Yeah. And you can tell that he, he did a little bit of method acting. Not saying he did meth or heroin, but he actually considered it. I've read that as a as a trivia fact, now, I don't know how far that thought went in his head or if that was just an intrusive thought, but he did lose. You could tell that he lost some weight in this. Mm. And then I don't know if it's makeup or what, but he looks super pale and almost ghoulish. But he, he definitely looks the part.
2: Yeah, definitely part of that 90s heroin chic, you know, this fit into that whole aesthetic. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, and he said he, he did do some other things to get prepared. He said he would go to train stations in his free time and just take a look at the addicts there and, and kind of observe them, which is, you know, uh, it's all right. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> Actors. Uh, but he also did get really, um, he took advice and he got involved with Glasgow's Calton Athletic Club, which was a drug recovery group. Mm. And so he took a lot of direction to learn a lot from them as
0: well. Now you know I like a I like a good screenplay, and I think this is a a tight screenplay. I think it it has good pacing, like you said with it, Caitlin. Uh, it it does take a turn where it does get more serious, but at the same time, it feels natural to the film's progression. And to you know, give them a shout out. It's John Hodge that wrote the screenplay, and Irvine Welsh that this novel is based on. Now, how did you guys feel about the the screenplay, the writing in this?
2: I feel like the the dialogue is all really solid um you know and i do think once again it's very to have uh fellas talking about pop culture instead of their feelings is once again like very 90s very post tarantino but i think uh it was very fresh here coming from you know across the pond and i uh, and i obviously not being a dude from edinburgh uh i can't say whether or not it was authentic to the voices in the slang, but it certainly feels that way to me as an outsider. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's an air of authenticity to the way the characters talk to each other that I, even if it is stylized.
0: Yeah. I, and also I think what helps with them constantly using the pop culture is it that one thing I noticed more this time watching it is just how not only toxic the friend group is, but just really like these guys aren't the best of friends. Like they just, it, it really is just proximity that brings them together. And mm-hmm. You know when when characters start debating whether or not to leave certain characters, you kind of get it because when you start thinking about all the pop culture that they talk about, it's like they got nothing else. They make the same jokes. They're they're not bringing anything else to the table. It's when you look at that one friend and you just go, "Huh? Uh, yeah. That uh, there's just there's just nothing more to this friendship. This isn't going to go anywhere. This because this is going to be the rest of my life if I don't branch out somewhere else." Mm-hmm. Anything else to to add? Yes.
2: Uh nope, not for me.
1: Uh just one thing I would say, I, I mean, I'm not an expert of addiction or drug use, but I think that overall it portrayed it in a way that felt realistic, uh and you kind of really felt that helplessness of the characters who were dealing with addiction, and also just the way that drugs were depicted was very visceral. Um, There's also some moments of withdrawal that are very visceral with uh, hallucinatory moments. And so I I think that it just did a really good job visually with the topic.
0: Yeah, one thing I noticed too, and I'll give credit to the writing, is that uh, anytime that they meet a moment of stress, that's when they jump to the heroin. Anytime, Mm. like uh, when they're trying to withdraw from it, the tiniest bit. Now, there's one part where there's like, okay, yeah, I don't know any... Or, well, I don't know any heroin addicts, but I can't imagine like someone addicted to heroin experience this and not want to go ahead and and consume a drug right away because uh, there is mm-hmm. a arrowing scene in this. But there's just other moments like they just I don't know, like they can just trip over their own feet and they just like, all right, I'm taking heroin today. I can't I can't deal with this. So, yeah, I, I think they yeah, they portrayed it pretty well as far as the, like addiction goes.
2: And I think it was smart to start off with showing like the very first scene where they're doing heroin right at the top of the movie. They're like, this is why heroin is good. This is what I like about doing heroin. It feels amazing. I'm having a great time. And so you like instantly you, you get it. You get the appeal. The first like 15 minutes are him explaining to you how much he loves. Him. So then after that, you, you can sort of understand the rest of the ride a little bit better.
0: Yeah, it,
1: I think the thing is for me is sometimes he was saying one thing and the script was saying one thing, but then visually what you saw was was vile. It was disgusting. It wasn't pretty. And I think that juxtaposition just did a really good job together.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, because where they're shooting up, it's yeah, it's like a crapped out apartment. It is not nice. He's like talking about how this is the best thing ever, and it's like, well, look at where you're at. Look at how you are. But you can tell that okay, the drug is you know it's making you perceive it differently.
2: Yeah, and it it does set Renton up as an unreliable narrator. And so, yes, definitely. You, like, for the rest of the movie, you're going to know, I gotta I can't trust what I'm getting from this guy. And nobody else can trust him either.
0: Never trust a junkie. I think that's from no. Sid and Nancy. And also Hoodwink. Hoodwink, they said it too.
2: Mm. Never trust
1: a bunny, yeah.
0: Yeah, never trust a bunny. That's what it was. Yeah, because I was thinking when I said that, I was like, wait a minute, there, there were no junkies in there. Why was that line used? But yeah, never trust a bunny. And then it was Sid and Nancy, never trust a junkie. Uh, mm. and one one more thing about that that I liked um, oh what I was going to say is it doesn't make uh, it doesn't make heroin ap- like it makes you get why they use heroin but then you watch the rest of the film and you're like no I'm I'm staying away from so I feel bad for anybody that watched the first 15 minutes is like oh wait hold on let me pause this get myself some heroin and then I'll finish the movie they finish it like oh mm-hmm. no what have I done Well yeah go ahead Caitlin
1: I would just say speaking of the visuals of this film apart from that this film was disgusting. Like yeah. this film was vile, disgusting. There were moments I was gagging. I had to look away from the TV. It was gross.
2: Yeah, it, it certainly does hit home the fact that being addicted to heroin is gross.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, that so sheet scene. So if you haven't, mm.
1: yeah, if you haven't seen this film yet, uh, don't don't grab a meal. Don't watch it while you're eating. I <laughs> Just did. Don't do it.
0: <laughs> I regretted it. Oh. Yeah, actually, actually, so I did see a little bit of this when I was, I wasn't young, young. I was like a teenager, and I walked in, and my my parents were watching it, and it was that sheet scene, and that's what I caught a glimpse mm. of. And I was like, <laughs> like, nope. But, Caitlin, which scene is, uh, Chris, I don't know if you've seen Slumdog Millionaire, but which scene is worse to you guys, the going into the toilet or the going through the outhouse?
1: Toilet was worse.
2: I did not see Slumdog Million. Ooh, that's wow. also Danny
0: Boyle, and he, I don't know, it's like he tried to one-up himself with, with the bathroom.
1: Yeah. Uh, he likes his poop scenes. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I, but I agree. I think the toilet is worse, but also just because I've, I've never been in a bathroom that bad, but you, you've you been in like, I don't know, something about a damp, disgusting bathroom. It just makes my stomach churn. It's yeah, the no, public
1: bathroom. bathrooms are my nemesis. Yeah.
0: Though that bathroom actually smelled pretty sweet because they used chocolate for everything. So mm,
1: I did read that.
0: Yeah, it probably smelled like Willy Wonka's factory or something. But looking at it now, nah. now this was this movie did have some influence out there. Mm. Caitlin, what were you able to find?
1: Uh, well, obviously we already talked about it a little bit, but there was a sequel in 2017 with Train Spotting. As far as other movies that were influenced by this, it, it's kind of difficult to say. Um, obviously, there's going to be comparisons to Requiem for a Dream, I think that there's not too many comparisons with them as far as how they handle their topics, but Requiem for a Dream does also center around um, a group of characters instead of just one. Uh, there actually is an article on Screen Rant but I'll post on our social media that does go from comparisons between the two movies. As far as other things, um, I mean, I think that a lot of movies that are centered around drugs are going to have some kind of um, impact from this. I couldn't find anything specific, um, but one thing that I thought of was Worst Person in the World. Uh, There is a scene in Worst Person in the World where a character is doing drugs, and there is a scene where she sinks into the carpet, Mm. and that is very reminiscent of a scene from this movie.
0: That's true. I didn't even think of that.
2: It uh, also reminded me of in uh, Get Out when uh, he falls into his uh, own brain. I forgot what they called it the inside or something. Uh, sunken the, place.
1: Sunken
0: place, yeah. the
2: sunken place. The sunken place. Yeah, it reminded me of that. Also, when he was in the toilet, it also reminded me of the sunken place.
0: Yeah, yeah, I see that too, especially as I was looking up. And I don't know. I feel like I'd rather. So you can either go to the sunken place by heroin or teacup. I'm going to choose teacup.
2: Yeah, fair yeah. enough things did end up better for the guy and get out than it did for anybody. Well, we're not in the spoiler section, but things don't go well for the train spotters.
0: I think everybody, I think everybody like is not surprised that things don't go well for the heroin addicts. Um, Yeah. Also, I don't want to seem like I'm talking down to heroin addicts. I mean, obviously there's an issue, but not, not looking down, not judging.
2: Yeah. And, and I, then this film is also not particularly judgmental. I want to say it is.
0: No, it's more understanding than anything. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the movie *Wrecking for a Dream*. I saw that. I didn't see like any direct links, you know, quoting saying that this was inspired by it. But the way that they take drugs in this movie reminds me a lot of *Wrecking for a Dream* and the cuts that they use to portray the the injections, and uh, a lot of the cuts too. I mean, this is a movie with a lot of cuts. *Wrecking Dream* is, I think, still the record holder for them the most cuts in any film. Ah, uh, this also went viral last year, or at least this uh this video clip did, where it was kind of it was making fun of this conservative, uh this conservative politician in the UK. Mm-hmm. They were doing the whole you know choose life, choose this, uh, but they were saying like all the things that he was doing wrong. Uh, he was mm-hmm. like choose telling people lies, choose your friends, but not the working class. And they actually what they did was they took. That guy's head, um, Sukar, I think is his name, and they put it over Renton while he's running in mm. the beginning. And then they did it with the other politicians as well. They put him on the rest of the group. So all the people like in his conservative cabinet or whatever they call it, uh, they posted them in, in that video and it went viral last year. And Danny Boyle actually uh, praised it. Oh, all right. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, I mean, I don't know anything about the the politics on it, but it was a funny video when I watched it. Uh, Chris, uh, have you seen any kind of influence throughout the years in in anything in society and well, videos?
2: I would say that Train Spotting sort of led the way of uh, that late '90s British invasion of filmmakers that also brought over guys like Guy Ritchie and uh, Paul Greengrass, uh, you know, and establishing uh, a, a sort of British cool again. You know, that led to movies like the remake of The Italian Job or any of the Jason Statham movies. Like, I don't think you'd have a lot of that sort of late 90s Britophilia if it weren't for uh, the success of Train Spotting.
1: Also, uh, Britpop. Uh, the soundtrack for this film did very well. It's mm. listed on a couple lists for best soundtracks of all time, best cinema soundtracks. And there is a book called Britpop Cinema from Train Spotting to This is England by Matt Glasby that goes all into about that. So it definitely was influential there.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see Guy Ritchie, uh, especially with Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. That reminds me a lot of mm-hmm. this movie in this style. But yeah, people were you know, this is the first time that British was entering people's countries, and people weren't mad about it, <laughs> which kind of goes into my significance. I was uh, just the uh, just the international exposure as well. Nobody really gave it much I guess gave it much thought. I think sometimes too like uh British and English films they get kind of mixed in with American films. Mm. You know like there's always like the you know the kind of debate like is it considered foreign film? If it's also on English, and that's why we, later we got non-English speaking awards. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, we talked about Kelly McDonald. This is her uh, film debut. Uh, she was 19 years old when this was filmed, and she turned 20 during its release. And also, this kind of put Danny Boyle on the on the map. He gave him some recognition before this. He uh, had Shallow Graves, which I recommended to you, Caitlin. You ended up watching it, right? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah uh yeah because i was gonna say like what did you think of ewan mcgregor this this young but i was like oh yeah you saw shallow graves so this isn't new to you uh, but yeah uh this is the highlight danny boyle kind of became also someone that was bringing in not necessarily blockbusters but he was he was trusted with more by producers and studios
2: yeah this is a breakout
0: caitlin what did you find during your significance research
1: so this film did have a little bit of controversy. There are some places that were questioning whether this promoted and romanticized drug use. There was actually a U.S. senator who made some remarks during a presidential campaign saying that it was morally depraved and it glorified drug use. And then later on, it found out that it he hadn't even seen the film. I was just so about was to ask. it was all just talk. Oh, yeah. yeah, he hadn't even seen it. Uh, but the novel writer even while he had noted that because of this he was kind of an unsung hero of Train Spotting's marketing campaign.
0: Yeah, I was just about that. I was like, man, all that all that crap he's talking. I bet he hasn't even seen the film. It, it always works like that, even today.
1: Oh I, yeah.
2: I think it'd be hard pressed to say Train Spotting glamorizes Harry. I mean, other than like, there's that old argument that like you can't really make an anti-war movie because anytime you're showing war in a movie war always looks cool you know and maybe you can't make a movie about shooting a heroin because it's always going to star a bunch of beautiful famous actors you know and it's going to be projected on a giant screen so it's always going to look somewhat glamorous but i i would say if you can make an anti-heroine movie train spotting is an anti-heroine
1: i mean also just the nature of addiction it is a mental illness so sometimes you don't need to be influenced it just kind of happens
0: yeah what about you, Chris? Anything to add on to the the significance of this film that you saw?
2: Um, uh, not so much. Nothing that leaps to mind. I'm gonna be honest.
0: When did uh, now you were 15 when this released? Did like did the British slang start coming over into the states at all? Did people start trying to imitate this movie?
2: Only if you were a real, fr- you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> like if you were just a complete dork, you might be doing that. There were probably a handful of guys, and you know you might try it once or twice and realize that you're not going to pull it off nothing it didn't make any kind of heavy penetration thank goodness who would you
0: guys recommend this movie to between general audience and cinephiles chris who would you recommend this to or some other niche group out there
2: you know i would say i'd recommend it to anyone who's generally interested in in quality filmmaking because i think it certainly fits into that uh on top of that anyone who likes 90s pop soundtracks 90s brit pop you're going to have a blast here. Uh, anyone who likes to see uh, Ewan McGregor's hog is going to have a great time. And I've got to say that's going to be a lot of people. Oh, yeah, that's right.
0: That is right. Somebody out there has been wanting to see Obi-Wan Kenobi's.
2: Yeah. I mean, God, and this was back in the time where he was doing that in a bunch of movies. And and God bless him. I mean, if I had his kind of hog, I'd be flashing it on camera <laughs> all the time.
0: Well, He was also, he was a real dedicated, he is, a, still is a real dedicated actor. And then also Absolutely. it being the the UK that he's from, being from uh, Scotch and everything, like they don't look at nudity that that harshly like we do.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Different culture for sure.
0: He's probably asking Danny Boyle every second, at, no pants on the scene, right? Right? Like, I no, think but,
2: it plays better. My character wouldn't be wearing pants.
0: Yeah. I don't wear pants. Yes, we know, McGregor. Just can't have you on set anymore. What about you, Caitlin? Who would you recommend this to?
1: Um, I mean, I think I'm hesitant to recommend any film that deals with addiction, whether it's drug or alcohol addiction, to just anyone. Um, but I do think that this can appeal to a general audience if that's not something that is going to bother you. Mm.
0: Yeah, I would think that if you have a loved one or somebody that you care about that is an addiction, this could be a uh, this could be hard to watch, and. Uh, I would recommend this, though, to pretty much anybody that's interested in film. I want to just say a general audience that, you know, just goes out there every now and then. But if you really like film and you're just kind of, uh, you know, you're just you're just watching anything that may appeal to you. I think this is a good movie to watch. And then also for a cinephiles, I think this is a, a good movie to look at technically as well. And just, you know, see how filmmaking is done on a again, a low budget and how they made things work on a low budget to see uh if you're interested in Ewan McGregor uh if he's you know as well as one of your favorite actors a lot of people speak highly of him this is a good film to watch and actually you get two films you watch this and then you can watch the sequel
1: yeah that just says a lesson on pacing too I think is really good for for inspiring or want to
2: filmmakers
0: yes and yeah writers. it's nice to
2: see something a tight 93 minutes do you know what yes. I mean <laughs> just keep it moving
0: I wish it was longer, though, because I think if we had the, because I think they could have put in those Kelly McDonald scenes and we could have we could have went two hours. and I think it would have been fine.
2: I think we could tighten up the third act, but we'll get to that once we get to the spoilers.
0: Right. And also uh, something impressive with this. They made this in seven and a half weeks. They made this in less Ooh. than two months. Like, just think about what you accomplished in the last two months. And they were able to make like a whole a whole film within that time. Which wasn't too bad because actually in Scotland, they, it was only sundown from 11 p.m. to 4.30 a.m. So they had a lot of daytime to work with. It kind of sucked mm. when they had to shoot nighttime scenes. So they did like cram those in, but they had a lot of daylight to work with. Now, we're going to go ahead and get into our spoiler section uh, during this time. Hey, we're going to open up the classified folder and talk about talk about everything. And also we're going to talk about Spotting 2. It being a legacy sequel, we're going to go ahead and do it here with the spoilers because, well, obviously, you know, some people survive. Some people have things happen to them in the plot of uh, the story. So if you have not seen this film, stop now. Go ahead. Watch it. Come back to us. Or if you're one of those odd people that just don't care about spoilers, continue on through with us. Now, another kind of significant thing with this film is that it pops up on a lot of lists. Well, for a lot of lists of like best drug movies, forgot to mention that, but also on a lot of lists of having one of the most horrifying scenes in a non-horror movie. And I think you guys Hmm. know what I'm talking about. The baby on the
2: ceiling with the head turning around. Yeah. Although I, I found the baby in the crib more frightening. I did, too. Yeah,
1: the baby in the crib was frightening. The one on the ceiling, I thought, was kind of funny. It was a <laughs> it,
2: little goofy. It, it is a little silly. I think it
0: doesn't help that we have better definition, that you can kind of, like, see how much of a doll it looks like and how it's not even yeah. touching yeah. the ceiling.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it didn't quite pull it off, but, you know, it, you got what he was getting at. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's still a wild scene with everything going on. Yeah. Yeah, that withdrawal scene is... That's a very surreal scene. And that's, yeah, I think that's another thing that they make uh, just look very unpleasant is the withdrawal and how hard they yeah. make it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really communicated that very effective.
0: But I agree, the dead baby, ugh, that was rough every time.
1: Yeah, that for me was like the, the turning point tonally for the film because things kind of got a lot more serious from that moment.
2: Yeah, after after Renton gets back on the smack after being off it for a little while, and things start instantly, you're like, oh, now they're stealing. Now they're showing them breaking into cars. Now they're showing all the negative effects. The second time through, it's not the fun party heroin that we had at first 15 minutes. That, yeah, does culminate and turn when they find that dead baby in their smack house.
1: And, like, you know what's going to happen
2: because yeah the baby's yeah. just
1: crying you know it's gonna happen, but you're still not quite prepared for it.
2: It's definitely Chekhov's baby,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, either it's gonna like it's going to uh what's it called it's gonna get poked by a needle or something, or yeah, it's just gonna be neglected. Uh, I mm-hmm. didn't find like any oh I think I think it died because it wasn't able to breathe. I think they say that later on in the sequel. they weren't able to like mm. turn the baby over or something
1: that it says that they didn't notice that the baby wasn't breathing.
0: Ah, okay, yeah. So
1: I don't think that means necessarily that it just stopped breathing. I just think that they didn't notice for so long that the baby was dead.
2: Yeah, because when the they issue. find and the that, baby, like it's yeah. already pretty far gone.
0: Yeah, and I think that's uh, I think Sick Boy, I think that's like his best his best scene in there. I think he does really well mm-hmm. in that scene, mm-hmm. and yeah. and the narration for it when you saying like now we know who the dad is, I think is. I don't know. It's just a line that really works for this film. It has th- several emotions connected to it. Uh, I do agree yeah, that this think, is the turning point. I think it like they were like, oh, you guys think we're glorifying this? Nah, nah, we're going to turn it around right now. We're going to turn this car around.
2: Yeah. And I think when uh, Sick Boy says to Renton in that scene, well, aren't you going to say something? Uh, you know, that shows like, who the sort of leader is And Renton's like play, Like it's Renton's job To be the one to say something to him. Yeah And uh And then when he says I'm gonna go cook a shot You know Of course everybody was Gonna fall in line behind that And understand That that's what's up And that's the sort of culpability that Renton has, like as much as the film wants you to sympathize with him and look at him as the good guy. But he hes the protagonist who's his job to save these, you know, they're his friends. And instead, he lets them all just be junkies and losers like he is.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think. Yeah, that is a really good point because he does. I mean, I think in a lot of other films, you would see the protagonist. That'd be their moment to shine. And I think this is. You know, you see in the movie just kind of like how he disappoints a lot of people. I think this is the time that he really disappoints the audience and not being able to finally Mm -hmm. do something. Like you would think that this would be the moment and it's not for him.
1: Yeah. And it's just a very realistic portrayal too. Yeah. of Just like how
2: bad mm -hmm. the grip heroin has on.
1: Yeah. And it's not a film that wants there to be a hero. It's just a film that wants you to see the lives of these people and and give you a glimpse of how they are. And that's about
2: it. And I thought that was sort of. Do you want to talk about Train Spotting Two at all?
0: Uh, we will not a minute. Time. I mean, if you want to, if it, if it's relevant to what you're about to say for Train Spotting One, mention it.
2: I mean, I was just going to say like, Train Spotting Two really sort of hit home. Like, oh yeah, this, this these guys they didn't make it. You know what I mean? Like they they aren't they aren't all right. These guys are still losers. You know what I mean? And it was just like it was very. I wanted to like Train Spotting Two, but I couldn't quite get there. Because it didn't answer the question that every legacy sequel needs to answer, which is why does this movie exist? Like I didn't I didn't feel like I needed to be watching it at any point when I was watching it.
0: Yeah. Um Yeah, I got some things to say about that. Because I I have mixed feelings about the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, another another nightmarish scene in this movie, in Train Spotting One, I would say, is uh, rent boy waking up and finding out that the woman who had accompanied him last night is still in school and is also only yeah. 15 years old. And yeah. I think and that that's was when, we,
2: when he was off
0: heroin. Yeah. So he's like, God, I can't get a break. Can I? And that's how it kind of yeah. was with the heroin. Anytime he was off, he would just have a little hiccup. And again, that's when he would go back to the addiction, which uh, you know happens to a lot of people in addiction. It just takes that one hiccup. But, Caitlin, is that what you're talking about when she kind of played the two different roles?
1: Yeah, because, you know, she seems like this knowledgeable woman of the world when you first Mm -hmm. meet her. She seems very mature. She's dressed very mature. And then the next day, you see her in her schoolgirl uniform. And from then on, there's just a switch. And you're like, this is definitely a
2: child. Yeah, when she's trying to hold his hand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she definitely manipulates like a child. But also like a predator when she says, you know, if I can't see you again, I'll turn you into the police.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So she obviously like she knows what she's doing.
2: Yeah. And that's why she was one of the only ones to make it out. We find out in Train Spotting 2 when she turns out to be a high powered Mm -hmm. attorney.
0: Again, I wish she had more in that movie.
2: Yeah. But if you're going to have one scene, that was a good one scene. I feel like
0: it was. Yeah.
2: And you wanted Renton to not, like, Renton couldn't get back with her. That was not the movie that they were making. No, you, no. So you had to almost get her out of there.
0: I mean, that really, you weren't rooting for that relationship to begin with. If you were rooting for that relationship when he woke up the next day, then you may want to look at some things. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you guys feel about, uh, I think the other kind of big, uh, big plot moment in this movie is Tommy and what occurs to him. How did you guys feel about that? Because I know you said Tommy was kind of weak for, for for what he had to do to the plot. But how did you feel about everything that occurred with him?
2: To me, our, well, I mean, first, the Renton stealing the sex tape and that sort of being the inciting incident that ends up ruining the rest of Tommy's life. You know, because Renton stole the sex tape, his girlfriend dumped him because his girlfriend dumped him. He started doing heroin because he started doing heroin. He got HIV, like all of that. Is specifically Renton's fault, and so, but Tommy is just sort of there, just to be like this, like innocent goofball. That's just a victim of Renton's carelessness. So yeah. I, he's he's not very proactive in his. And I, but it really one of the things that felt most '90s to me was uh, was Tommy getting HIV. That was such a '90s plot point. Yeah. Well. More 80s because actually this
0: movie takes place in the 80s, and that's when that because they actually mentioned the epidemic during this
2: film. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of in terms of uh, in art, that was very yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, gotcha.
1: Cinematic portrayal.
2: What
0: I did.
1: Yeah, f- I agree with you, and I think that leading off of what you said, I think that he does become a little bit more of a two dimensional character just because we're viewing him through Renton's lens. Like he is the narrator, and this is how he feels about himself. This is how Renton feels about himself. This is a guilt that he feels. So everything we see about Tommy is connected to Renton and his guilt.
2: Mm.
0: One thing I noticed this time around that I like it was a nice little detail with the with the HIV, which one, they never actually say it. It's literally written on the walls. Uh, so you do have to pay attention for it. But the way that he dies is by tox- Something
2: toxoplasmosis. Toxoplasmosis.
0: Like, yes. Which is from cat feces uh, and just mm. the bacteria and things that are found in that that they said like it's just kind of eating at his brain and i wondered about it and i looked up to confirm and yes uh the people that are most endangered are pregnant women and those with weakened immune systems so somebody with hiv yeah
1: yeah that's why they say pregnant women shouldn't scoop cat litter
0: oh really
2: yeah yeah oh i feel so bad (laughs) so no i never you never denied a pregnant woman. <laughs> I will yeah. not scoop your cat.
1: <laughs> that can't be real. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Pregnant women think ah, you're the most spoiled people on earth.
0: <laughs> Taking up all the seats. Now you don't even, want, don't even want to clean up after yourself. Okay. But yeah, I thought that was a nice, little, a nice little detail because again, I can also see like Renton telling himself, well, that wasn't my fault that he died. Well, I mean, indirectly it was. Because if he was as healthy as he was, one, he would have cleaned up the cat feces. Well, also, they was they, so many of things wouldn't have happened. Like, that. you wouldn't even got yeah. to that point. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to talk about with... Oh, wait. Um, this one, I had mixed feelings the first time I watched it. How did you guys feel about him stealing the money?
2: I mean, you, you get it, right? Because they spent the last... What I didn't like was like the last half... The rest of the movie is all about heroin addiction. And the last... Half hour of the movie, no heroined. That to me felt strange.
1: It was a little strange.
2: Um, but when he stole the money, you're like, you get it, because his friends have obviously been treating him like garbage this whole time, except for Spud, which is why he left Spud some mm-hmm. But so but that's just like I said, if he was really like the leader of these of the pack, like he's supposed to be. He should have saved these guys. And maybe it was too late to save them. And maybe part of the message of the movie is, like, you can't save everybody. You got to put yeah. on your own mask first.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah, there was no saving them.
1: Yeah, and what he said was right, that they would have done the same to him. I, I think he uses an excuse to make himself feel better about what he did. But at the same time, he's not wrong. Uh, Begbie in particular, like, I didn't trust him to give him any of their money. No. Like I, there's no way. And there's that scene the fight scene in the bar which i think kind of just breaks the camel's back with begbie mm-hmm. um just being this violent outburst and you know that if Ryan never tries to stand up for himself his other friends aren't going to have his back because they're just as scared as begbie as he is so i think that you know the only thing he could have done was remove himself from the situation and so i understand why he took it
2: but at the same time, like you get back to that unreliable narrator of him being like, I'm going to start a new life. It's going to yeah. be me. I'm going to go do that. But this, he's been saying that the whole movie, every time, right before yeah. he takes a shot. He's like, that's, this is it. I'm done. And th- that's what I like about the ambiguity. I like the ambiguity of that ending, I which is too. why I don't like that there's a sequel.
1: I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. As soon as I saw that ending, I was like, they really did a second one? Yeah. Because it's like, great that it's ambiguous. It's, it's wonderful that it's ambiguous because, you know, you have this sinking feeling that it's not going to go how is he saying, but you still have a little bit of hope.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's, you like, want to have hope for Like this is the best shot he's going to get. Yeah. Like you want to hope for that character. So I think in having a sequel, it just undermines that.
0: Yeah. Agreed on that. And I think like also with if- I mean, I think he was right for, well, no, I mean, obviously it was wrong, but at the same time, like, I understand it because he says sick boy Mm would have done the same thing. And I think later sick boy like admits like, yeah, I would have probably done the same thing. Uh, Spud, I mean, he couldn't be with Spud and not be with them. And Brigby would have just brought him into more shenanigans. Like this wouldn't have been the last, he would have been like, oh man, that was great. How about we now go rob them and then we sell it to another person? And then everybody would have been like, all right, let's go with mm, it. Yeah, But I mean, he was close to breaking his addiction. or I mean, he was breaking like from from apart from them. But then they came and invaded his life. So I get why he had to yeah. just completely leave.
1: Yeah, that's the thing is like $4,000 wasn't going to get him away from his friends. Like he needed a real break from them or else they're just going to keep following him.
2: Yeah, he needed to burn that bridge.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's the big thing with recovery for addicts is that you know, you have to distance yourself from who you were in the past and people used to hang out with, uh, because once you fall into those old habits again, it gets harder mm-hmm. to break that cycle.
2: Yeah, it's a lot easier to say no to heroin when you're not in the same room as Harold.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Let's talk about the just, just talk about the sequel for a little bit. I know you guys already said that one of the problems with it is that we didn't we didn't need it, and I agree with you yeah. on that. I don't. It's it's so hard to justify bringing in a legacy sequel especially when one ends when it has this kind of ambiguous ending to it but then to like really gotta kind of bring something new or hit on the same themes I just don't think that it brought too big of a message that we're like okay I get why we have uh, we have this sequel but I thought it was fun enough that for the most part I enjoyed it Uh, I just do not like the ending at all I don't get what Mm. the ending does for the theme of the movie and I don't Uh, Also, I just, I don't think that would even work. Like, you would have to get that notarized. I don't know what the laws are in other countries, but I don't understand why Spud would betray them. Like, I understand why Veronica would, but Spud, that doesn't make sense to me.
2: Yeah, and the idea of Spud having a secret master forgery power... Just felt a little bit too, like, that's that's stretching it. I was already stretching to believe that he's a really great contractor. But to also believe that he's a master forger is, I felt, was, I, I it lost me there. Oh, yeah, he was um, a,
0: a very nice contractor.
2: Yeah, like, he was rebuilding that entire brothel. Just like, he was like, yeah, I'll do some yeah. designs. I got some guys. I'll do the wiring. I'll put up the studs. And you're like, damn, Spud, you did pick up a trick or two.
0: Throughout his life, he's just done things here and there and i mean he's what like 45 been doing heroin since he was like 15 or something probably picked up a lot of neat tricks now yeah that much like development and building a whole place and laying out plans i I don't know about but maybe just hiring the people maybe cutting a few corners on materials i can see
2: fair enough and i did like how this was the first one was a hangout movie i did like getting to hang out with these guys again i did like their chemistry i did like the characters but it just it did felt it felt like fan fiction and fan fiction is fine if you want to write fan fiction but you can just write fan fiction i don't need a whole movie of that
1: yeah i just feel like these actors and crew just they just wanted to get together again to do something for the fun of it and that's kind of what i got I I wasn't feeling the plot uh, there's a new character Veronica I just wasn't feeling uh, mm. the film focused more on sick boy in general which I've already said that I'm I'm very indifferent to him uh, beg if I was weary of him in the first movie I was definitely weary of him in the second movie so I I really wasn't a fan of this sequel. There are good moments though. There are good moments though. There's the choose life monologue in this, I think, is fantastic from Ian McGregor. I think his mm-hmm. performance there is some of the best I've seen of him. Um, and yeah, the I cast has all
2: still got it, I want to yeah, say.
1: Yeah, like they all still got it. And I definitely liked that we were able to see train spotting with Danny Boyle's more updated style.
0: Mm-hmm. Though I think he was a little too unhinged on this one. I think there were sometimes, there was like too many cuts.
1: That bar fight scene, there was so many cuts, but yes. I was feeling it.
0: I, I wasn't I was feeling, feeling that bar it, fight scene. I don't like fights with cuts in it, so that could be personal. Or it like a lot erratic. of cuts. Now, this is based on a book. This is There is a sequel to the original book. Uh, so this, mm-hmm. it, uh, it wasn't just the the directors and actors. But yeah, it does feel like everybody had a fun time working on the first one that they were like, oh, there's a sequel to the book. You know, Danny Boyle can get the studio backing. Hey, let's get back together and, and make a film. And I do agree with Chris. I as far as like the hangout, I really like uh Sick Boy and Renton's uh chemistry in this film. Mm-hmm. And like the time that they were together, even Veronica said it like you two just you two just want to be with each other.
2: Yeah. That was definitely I think also part of the subtext that maybe these two just probably should have made out a little bit. That probably <laughs> <Yeah>. would have helped <laughs> Could have avoided this whole issue. Yeah,
0: but uh, I mean, I also I think Bregby because we mentioned a little bit that Bregby he has a he, he's a little bit more fleshed out, and I think he does have a, a kind of a not a sweet moment, but he has a kind of character-defying moment in here that, like, at for once, I think he can be a, just a little bit sympathetic towards Bregby, and I like that moment yeah. with his son.
2: And I think a lot of what Trainspotting Two is trying to address is like whether or not people can change and whether or not people can break cycles. Do you know what I mean? And so Begbie trying to break the cycle of violence that he had from his father to him to make it something different for his son, I think is not quite in character for Begbie, but it was certainly sweet. Mm -hmm. And I I think Danny Boyle is ultimately a very sweet filmmaker underneath it all.
1: Yeah. And I think you had to have hope somewhere um, because I think that the existence of this film, the idea that they didn't really go anywhere do with their lives, it diminishes the hope at the end of a second feel. Even if that hope wasn't um, necessarily something true, you still had that hope. So like to have this message that, oh, if you do heroin and you're an addict, you're never going to have you're never going to escape it. uh, Like, I feel like I just didn't like that message. Especially who's someone who has lost people from drug use. It Mm -hmm. just didn't feel like a good message. So then I think that the ending, I think, did a quick like patch up a little bit um, in the second movie where, you know, Renton goes and he like is reunited with his family and everything's good. And I, I felt like it just felt like a patch up to what the philosophy of having a sequel was about.
2: Also, really quick, I want to say it was very dumb that they made Spud Irvine Welsh and had him oh. right train Spotting.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that was really stupid. I, that was very like stereotypical. That was rough.
2: That was yeah. rough.
1: Very stereotypical. I'm trying to think what else is done that. The thing that comes to mind is Game of Thrones but did that.
2: <laughs> it, it reminded me of it's been done Did you ever a lot. see the uh the animated Return of the King? No.
1: No, I haven't.
2: Well, at the end, uh of the movie Gandalf is talking about like, oh, uh, Frodo's taller than Bilbo and Pippin's taller than Frodo. And soon hobbits will be in- indistinguishable from human beings and humans will look at each other and say, is there any hobbit in me? And then he turns directly towards the camera and says, is uh, there? Uh, okay. It, like, it, it definitely was like a wink. And it was like, come on, come on. Yeah.
0: I don't, I don't think the patch up job was, I mean, I think they were doing... You know pretty well just kind of showing where the characters are like you kind of said fan fiction but I don't get this I don't understand the message of the end of this and I feel like while the first one there, there is some hope there I feel like this one just loses it because then they're just back on the couch they're like I'm guessing they have to pay back a hundred thousand dollars like so I guess they're going to go bankrupt it's just I'm just like all right why why do I need to see our characters here now like, I'm all for a bleak ending, but it just felt like a bleak ending just just because.
2: Well, I didn't think it was totally bleak. I mean, obviously, things were looking better for Spud. He was mending things a little bit with Gale. And uh, Mark was mending things with his father a little bit. Yeah. And even he was mending things with Sick Boy a little bit. It's like, well, now we both know. We shouldn't do business together because we'll end up fucking each other over. Maybe we can just sit on the couch and try not to do heroin and watch some soccer match. Maybe that's the kind of friends we should be. And that was what I was hoping at the end.
1: And I feel like it also kind of like Begbie Effie, and embodied their struggles and their addiction and they just kind of killed him off and it was just like the evil is defeated. That's kind of what I got from that ending as well.
2: I think it was more just recognizing. Maybe some people should be in jail. Yeah. <laughs> maybe <Bagby laughs> really, yeah, they shouldn't true. be on the streets.
0: I actually a light bulb just went off in my head. So mm. both, uh, both uh, Mark and Sick Boy, they talked to Veronica, and they both, they both stated that they plan to betray the other one. So maybe the way Veronica convinced Spud was like, "Hey Spud, what's going to happen is that." they're going to go ahead and do this. They're going to screw each other over and they're not going to be friends anymore and they're going to leave again and you're going to be alone. Uh, by Spud screwing over both of them, they remain friends because neither one got to betray the other one.
2: That's fair. That would that sounds like that would convince Spud. Now, I had to do a little...
0: I, I, that light bulb had to go off in my head. That wasn't really cleared in the movie. Uh, so I'm still going to take a point away for it. For me to like, have enough. an epiphany. But I... I think the movie is still worth watching. I think it is fun enough that if you enjoy the first one, it's worth seeing. I don't know if you guys feel the same. I'll say this. Skip it.
1: I'd say definitely, skip it, personally. Definitely don't
2: only watch Train Spotting too. Oh,
1: definitely not.
2: <laughs> oh, no. That would make absolutely no sense. You would not like that. Um,
0: now, Maverick to Top uh, Gun? Yeah, a... you can watch Maverick and not Top Gun. That's fine.
2: <laughs> yeah, I would. I would say, you know... You could watch something better, but hey, you know, if it's Saturday afternoon and you say, "Oh, hey, there's Train Spotting Two up on my streaming service," sure, it's two hours; it's fine. Eat some popcorn. Yeah, but I think again, if you
0: if you really if you're a fan of the first one, like I am i I enjoyed it enough that I didn't regret watching it. And I mean i think is I think it's an all right film. I don't think it's I don't think it's a bad film, but it definitely doesn't compare to the first one, really.
2: No, it's not a must see.
0: No, no. That's why you won't see it in this uh episode's title. No, I'm just doing a little
2: little yeah.
0: bonus here. Yeah. Anything else you guys want to talk about while the spoilers are up? No, I'm good. Though I have one question that I'm not going to be able to figure out. What happened to Tommy's wallpaper? Cuz uh good Remember like so Tommy his house was was pretty well lit and he, like I mean mm-hmm. the walls were either painted or they had wallpaper in it. Most likely wallpaper. But when they go see Tommy, like when he's all drugged out, like his walls are all stripped in green, and you can't strip wallpaper and resell it. So where was he just cloned at the walls for so long that he just stripped away all the wallpaper, or is this a different house?
2: No, nah, because Mark knew where to find him. Uh, yeah, who could say? Caitlin, any if- ideas
0: on the wallpaper? Any leads?
1: This is in T. Which this is in T two.
0: Sorry, say again.
2: This is no, in T one. No. when Mark goes to Tommy's um? house and Tommy's like, uh, can I get $10 for heroin? And Mark's like, you got it, brother. Take it easy. And then he's dead.
0: Yeah. Like he's sleeping on the floor and you know, you see this apartment now dying of HIV. Yeah. There's nothing in the apartment. You don't remember that scene at all dying, Tommy? Uh,
1: I mean, I don't know. I think I assumed it was two different places.
0: Okay. I mean that that's could be. Could be that he sold his old apartment.
2: Yeah. Moved into someplace cheaper.
0: Maybe he found a way to like strip wallpaper and resell it. But I don't know. That's just, some, that's just a nitpick that I, I saw and like was questioning. But that, again, that happens on repeated viewings.
1: I feel like this is going to keep you up at night though. Like this is the kind oh, of yeah. thing that it's like. You need to write somebody a letter. Ah, <laughs> oh, the wallpaper. <laughs> Where did it go? The yellow wallpaper.
0: Yeah. Ah, uh, I get that because I had to read that in college classic (laughs) does this hold up to you guys do you think that this uh, Chris do you think that this movie people can still watch today and get the same you know get get kind of the get what people got from it when it released
2: I don't think they can get what they got from it when it was released because I feel like it had such a large influence that like so many of like this was the first thing that was kind of like this Uh, so you you won't get that same freshness but I think you'll still get a lot out of it for sure Agreed.
1: I mean, I, I'm sure there was a lot of things that I missed as far as the pop culture references and stuff that might be more timely to that era. But I didn't feel like I missed anything. <laughs> so I think it still holds up. I like I didn't feel lost by it.
0: Yeah, I think watching it during the time, I think a lot of things would have been new to you, such as the soundtrack, uh, just mm-hmm. the the Scottish accent and slang in there. But I agree. I think it still holds up today. I think its themes still hold up. Uh, I mean, the baby on the ceiling isn't as horrifying as it probably was and lower definition, but I think the the baby in the crib still is. Uh, So I think, you know, you get a lot of uh, the emotions that were attended during that time here. Now, Chris, we're going to go ahead and rate the film. We rate the film based on a letter grade. You can also give Mm. this even above an A, which is an S tier. If you have like, uh, if this movie is sentimental to you, if you just you really like that movie, that you put it at just one of your favorite movies of all time. Uh, Where would you rate this film?
1: One question, quick: Are we also rating T two?
0: No, no. We just gave a recommendation on it.
2: No. Uh, I'm gonna give uh, Train Spotting an A minus. I want to say. Uh, I'm only knocking it down that little bit because I, the third act always feels a little bit like in Speed when they go on the subway. You know what I mean? I'm going to watch Speed because they're in the bus. I'm going to watch Train Spotting because they're doing heroin. Once they stop doing heroin, I feel like I don't know what the movie is. So A minus. Okay, Caitlin.
1: I'm going to go just just like a step below you. I'm going to go B+, plus, mm. but I'm optimistic that that would change on a second viewing, just because, like I said, at first, it just took me a while to get grounded.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I saw the repeated viewings. I enjoyed it on the repeated viewings then the first time. Uh, I'll give this, uh, yeah, I'm going to be right above you, Chris. I'm going to give this just a solid A. I think uh, even for, uh, for yeah. me that I think the, the third act, yeah, you kind of you kind of walk away from what you were used to in the film, but I think it's still, I think it still fits at least for me, it does. And yeah, there's not really too much. I would knock off of this film. I just wish it was like just a little bit more. I uh, definitely wish there was more Kelly McDonald. I wish there was a little bit more for, for sick boy. So I could have probably, you know, I could, honestly, I could have done another 30 minutes of this film. I don't know how badly that would affect the pacing, but yeah, I'm out there at uh, a solid A and, I mean, I, I'm not putting this at S tier, but this is a movie that I I do really enjoy. Now, Chris it has definitely been enjoyable having you here. You're actually our first. Oh, thank you. First guest coming from well, not coming from another podcast. We have had one other, which was um mm. cousin Rick, but having someone else from uh, from another podcast that we haven't known before that we haven't talked to before, uh, definitely fun having you on the show, and I think it worked out really well. Uh, which I think also, you know, attests to how good your podcast is, which I gave a couple of listens to. I listened to a couple of the episodes. I like the premise. Oh, thank you. For one, uh, just, you know, if you guys are, I didn't realize, well, I realized how many cryptids
2: are out there. Uh, yeah. Once you start digging, you can really find quite a few.
0: Yeah. And also I thought you, I didn't read the episodes correctly because you're at like 601, but it's 601 season six, episode one. Uh,
2: Yeah, yeah, we tried to inflate our stats a little bit. Yeah, I was like, God damn, there's 600 cryptids out there,
0: and then I started looking. I was like, Okay, wait, no, I read this wrong. Uh, And
2: no, we're somewhere in the 70s, I think.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, also cool. You do. uh, I saw on there yesterday that you do a season finale where you all the cryptids in the season. You kind of debate which one will win a fight.
2: Yeah, yeah, and every show we have a segment called Fight Night because you always want to, when you're thinking about monsters, you want to see what it could be in a fight. And then at the end of the season, you want to see who's the strongest monster you got, so we put them all in the Kumite, have them fight in a single elimination tournament.
1: Nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I, I definitely, you know, I personally recommend it. Where can, if they want to go ahead and take a listen to you, uh, which they definitely should, and you know, also where can they follow you on social media to, to keep uh, updated?
2: Sure, uh, you can follow me personally uh i'm on blue sky now i made the jump to blue sky uh you find me there at social and you find my podcast uncle monsters spooky time fright hour will just roll off the tongue trust me you'll remember it <laughs> uncle monsters spooky time fright hour uh, you can find that, us uh, on Instagram at uncle monster six, you can find us on blue sky as uncle monster dot sky dot social. Uh, we just started doing some YouTube stuff. You can find us on there at uncle monster podcast. So yeah, if you check us out.
0: Yeah. And we'll definitely, uh, as always, we'll, we'll post the links on our descriptions as well. And then also we'll post something on our social media that will link you to them. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually gonna introduce you by your your podcast title in the beginning too. I don't know if you noticed I hesitated a little bit because I was like, No, I'm gonna mess that up. I like I didn't have it right in front of me. I was like, I'm gonna I wanna mix up the <laughs> words. Like when SpongeBob was trying to say the the hash slinging slasher, he's like the trash fling. So like you have it. But yeah, it does roll off yeah. the tongue. Uh again, uh yeah, yeah I no, recommend you'll get used to it. If yeah. you
2: go Uncle Monster, you'll get close. Yeah.
0: Uh again, definitely recommend. Uh, you go check that out, especially if you enjoy the podcast here, enjoyed Chris on the show, which we we definitely have. Uh, Caitlin, now where can, once they're done checking Chris out, where can they check us out?
1: You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Op Silver Screen On Facebook, we're at Operation Silver Screen but Twitter and Instagram, that's Op Silver Screen. If you also just want to see what else we're watching throughout the week, maybe take a look at some reviews of films we don't get a chance to talk about on here, you can also find us on our personal letterboxes. Brian is at Swank Seal, that's capital S, capital S. And my personal letterbox is Coffee Spoon Kate, that's Coffee Spoon C-A-I-T.
0: And definitely try to stay updated with us. Uh, We just finished out the schedule through, was it through May? And we have a lot coming up. Uh, It's pretty, it's pretty nice upcoming films that we have going on. Pretty nice schedule. And we are going to have some more guests and make sure to go ahead and rate us as well. You know, maybe uh, write a, uh, write a review. And, you know, if you do have like any, you know, if you are going to give us like something less than five stars or like less than three. Don't bother. Yeah. You, you can bother, but try to <laughs> Keep come to, that to yourself. Come to us first. We have an open door policy. Let, let us know. Like, <laughs> hey, is there something that we can we can change? Something that you know we can make this uh this better for you. Uh but yeah, definitely, definitely reach out to us. Or if you just want to say hello. Now, I gotta go ahead. Uh Caitlin and I have recently acquired sixteen thousand dollars in cash. Don't worry, Caitlin. I'm gonna take this straight to HQ. No worries at all. So till next time, guys, I'm Brent. This was Chris. Bye. Oh, wait, Caitlin, can you say it one more time?
1: Say what one more time? I'm Caitlin. (laughs) I'm Caitlin.
0: (laughs) (laughs) See ya.